0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's our famine special episode. But before we get into the episode, can I just say that this is not a very serious historical chat. I don't want any Twitter storms after this episode suggesting that we don't know what the fuck we're talking about when we talk about the famine. Because I am admitting to you right now that we are laymen, myself and Steve, He's in the Trinity Access Program. I have a BA in history. We're just two guys yapping about the famine. You can agree or disagree, but don't get upset because at the end of the day, you would be just as welcome in this chat with your expertise. We're not claiming to be experts. We're just having an interesting and at times fun chat about the famine while at the same time not making fun of the famine, but there are some jokes in this episode. So keep yourself in a very lighthearted mind frame when talking about this, all of us, including me, you hear my American accent, my people didn't leave Ireland until the mid-1920s, okay, so before you start calling me some yank that doesn't know what I'm talking about, I have as much connection to the famine as you do, all right, so we're all connected to the famine genetically, historically, culturally, okay, we've all absorbed the narratives of the Irish education system, including me, so let's all just enjoy what I think is a very interesting chat. Now, before I hand it over to myself and Steve, Can I just say that the Patreon's going strong every Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning. It's only a five or a month. Uh, We chat for a half an hour. It's it's a a YouTube live, but uh, only access through the Patreon. And we talk about anything from my personal life to Trump to whatever's going on in the Irish or the American news. On Wednesday, we had a great chat about mental health, which uh, jumped off from a chat about people sort of being overly proud of the fact that they smoke weed, which uh, I'm not critical at all of people smoking weed, but it was just a, it was just actually what I wanted to be a lighthearted conversation about people who use marijuana as basically like an, the main focus of their personality and ended up being a really good chat about mental health. There's a live chat, uh, people get involved, so we're having great fun on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Des Bishop. Also, can I just say before I hand it over to myself and Steve, we need more ratings Uh, the ratings on Apple Podcasts have really dried up. Leaving a review is amazing. Some people left a review last week after my cry out, which was fantastic. But don't forget to give us five stars. It really helps. Also, if you listen on Spotify, take a screenshot, put it up on Instagram, put it up on Facebook. Do spread the word about the podcast. Very steady, great stuff happening here. And thank you guys so much for listening. Here's myself and Steve. I'm going to be back at the end of the episode to explain why we went up late. There's a there's a clue at the beginning of my chat with Steve, uh, which seems like I'm quite stressed. It got a lot more stressful after that, back in a while, enjoy my chat with Steve about the famine. So how are you, Steve? I'm
1: good. I'm good, man. I'm feeling like a new man. I got the mop. You got you got the hair cut, Steve.
0: <laughs> All right. I did too, but I wasn't as I wasn't as uh
1: Desperate as you this was This was severe. It was severe. The, the, the guy says to me, you know, it's been a year since you've been in because he has the record. It was pretty bad. It went too far. Jesus,
0: like a fucking doctor.
1: Bro. Yeah. Yeah. He has. He, every time I go in, he has a picture of what it was like the last time, just so you can see where you're at.
0: <laughs> it looks good, Steve.
1: Yeah, no, I'm much and happier. You got
0: your girlfriend's glasses on as well, which is great.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice nice red glasses you look wonderful absolutely you're looking gorgeous I'm, yourself Des, as always i mean that, i'm stressed that's a given. I'm, st- I'm stressed out actually because why well you know hannah does this uh bravo's chat room uh-huh. it's a, a it's filmed remotely but it's a it's a bravo network show that's on once or twice a week depending on the week and she's why? been filming it she's been filming it at her mother's uh, and she's changed the location to this house. And oh. today today is the first day. And we did like a location thing the other day. And they seem to be relatively happy. They wanted to like add a couple of things. And then like today, they send like, uh, you know, removable wallpaper, which definitely will not suit my wall and also doesn't actually... Uh, successfully go on and off of like matte paint it only goes on and off oh. of, like gloss you know what i mean Jesus. So like if i put it up on my wall it'll it'll rip off all the paint when they're when gonna ruin off. your faro and ball paint my, my 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 simple well no anyway everything's white in the house that's part of their problem is like it's all a bit white but then so but the then they also with america does yeah but then they also sent blackout curtains to black out the i was like they, they, they start filming today at three o'clock uh, like like i'm gonna fucking get curtains up <laughs> like, uh, this house has been here for 30 years we haven't put curtains up it's such a pain in the ass like i'm gonna fucking get curtains up today so anyway needless to say hannah's doing a fucking another podcast inside uh so we lost that hour now i'm doing my podcast she's about to finish we're losing all this time and uh and then I'm busy. I'm playing tennis at one o'clock. So I don't know. I, I don't know how. So before before I was on, before I was on with you, I was ironing a curtain. Oh God! Like the fucking wardrobe curtains in the like in the Olympia Theater. No, because first of all, it can't be too hot because it it you know I, I I was like testing it and it was too hot. So you know you I tested it on an area that didn't matter, but I, you know it started to immediately burn the thing, and then. When it when it's not hot enough, it's not actually doing the ironing. So it's hard to find that optimum, you know, yeah. optimum heat here, Steve. Not to mention how big the thing is and the have
1: the movement of
0: it over yeah, the ironing the, board. Yeah, like, and oh I don't. Yeah, but god. I don't even have a, I don't have a fucking ironing board. Oh god, I'm, I'm doing it on my kitchen counter with a towel. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and, and and for the record, I'm not getting fucking paid. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know now you know what women had to put up with for centuries days exactly
0: bro that's fucking you know the sins of the father it's not my fucking responsibility (laughs) i've always you know i've always been a fan of equality yeah but anyway i've never ironed a curtain in my life i'm fucking ironing a curtain i had to stop ironing the curtain to to talk to you and uh and then whatever we'll see I hope, I hope i hope i can get it ready it's quite stressful but the <laughs> funny thing is it's not my stress yeah that's this has been in a relationship des i know i'm taking it on whatever but but, but but what's so funny is that like you know normally i, I don't know it's weird when you're taking on the, somebody else's stress but it's directly related to like what you would normally do except that if this if this thing wasn't being filmed remotely There would be like four to five people that their literally their full time job is set dressing. Yes, but somehow now I have to become a fucking amateur set dresser. How has that Uh, happened? Well, you know it's fuck whatever, man. I I can't get into it, but like I've seen the backgrounds of some of the other presenters to this show. they're not that impressive. I feel like we're putting more okay. fucking effort into our fucking back. You know? I I, I that's partially got feel like ironed. <laughs> I partially feel like the real skill that you need in this situation is the ability to say no. Yeah. But, you know, that's a that's a separate <laughs>
1: This is love, Des This, this is, is love.
0: This is the this is the end of the honeymoon period. Mark the day. Thursday she... <laughs> the tenth. <day. laughs> now is she thankful or is she like stressing no, she's, about she's getting she's a time? Married. She's 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 thankful. She's no, important. I mean, I feel a little bad that I'm playing tennis. at one, but I asked her distinctly yesterday, like you're gonna be all right on your own. But the problem is that they've they've now dropped all this fucking extra shit on us. But you know, in the end, the fucking time comes and you just have to film, and nobody cares about the backgrounds. That's the yeah. whole thing.
1: They, they, people always find it, a way to cheat the
0: shot, anyway. So. But, no, but people obsessed about these fucking zoom backgrounds, and like nobody gives a shit unless it's really distracting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you guys, you know? see, I've gone very hard on mine. I thought about it a lot. I know. <laughs> a wrinkle, wrinkle I'm, stressed, I'm
0: stressed out though because like as the night falls while they're filming, like the light changes and I, I, I when she films at her mom's, the, the they have the ability to black out a small amount of windows, but like this house is literally just windows. So I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off.
1: You might have to have a really long game of tennis days.
0: Oh <laughs> God, I'm stressed out, man. You're telling me I'm not going to be able to play tennis? I don't no, know you... if this relationship is going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> this is—we're already into the five-aside negotiations. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were talking about that. Yes, yeah, we were yeah. talking about that the other week. So oh, before man. we get into talking about the famine, which, you know, I'm not that excited to talk about anymore, because the more I research, the more I'm like, Jesus Christ, I don't know if I want to get into this.
1: I know it's, it's heavy. Like we literally, um, oh, God damn it. We're going to have to hold the phone here for a second because the girls are outside and they're locked out. They forgot their key, but this is love. Oh my God. I'm not going to let them love. out there in the rain. <laughs> not in the rain. This is
0: love. <laughs> Pardon me, everybody. Jesus. They were, we're, all, we're all dealing with our uh, relationship stuff. Is is that what she said? Well, I'm a three year old. I'll tell you. Oh, that I'm that. a three year old. Wow. She, she's well, I'll getting, tell you. Thirty years ago, she'd be getting a slap, bro. She's
1: she's on my classes at the moment. She wants to take notes, and I'm like, I have to hold the earphones for her, and I can't even take bloody notes. Yeah, oh, she can oh, fucking do go. an essay on the famine. Yes. Well, it got heated. It got heated today in statistics class. Believe it or not, because the, the statistics stati- class. Yes, about the famine, because we mentioned to her about our our famine essay, and. Um, she said, uh, you know, there's one of the theories by one of the historians is that the Irish peasant class did decide that they only want to eat to eat potato. And one of the older lads was like, going, no, that's not right, because the British, blah, 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 like, going mad. Oh,
0: wow. See, that's and then the thing is, he, Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they then didn't she, make a decision that they just wanted to eat potato as a practicality. Isn't that right? Some of it, well, well. Here's the thing: like, she's from Mayo,
1: and she goes. One question that no no historian has answered me whatsoever, and I'm still waiting for the answer to this question: Why didn't they eat fish? And oh, like, I, I knew that you
0: were going to say, "Why didn't they eat fish?" People always like to fucking bring that up. I've never heard that one before. I've never. Heard oh, people that. always like to bring up the why didn't they fucking eat fish? But you know, the- it's like. Well, first of all, they they didn't have fucking fishing rods. Not to mention, I- some of them didn't have the energy to fucking walk to church. Yeah, but but they <laughs> like like you know what My always memory. makes me laugh. You know what always makes me laugh when people say why didn't they eat fish? I go, you don't think when they were fucking starving, they had a thought about fucking how they could get fish? Well, you know, but
1: the but the but the, but like what that is genuine. We're an island nation. Like, if you look at poor countries like Portugal, for this example.
0: is not the way, Steve. This is yeah. not the way to begin a discussion. Yes, about that's true. And that's I just true. want to let you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just saying that it got heated earlier on. That's all.
0: And, and I got out of it. I got out of it by making jokes. So. <laughs> but anyway. So, um, I mean, did you? Did, she says, "No historian. Uh, ever. Why, why don't we just 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 since we're starting on that? Yes. Why don't we just Google right now?" Why didn't uh why didn't they eat fish during the famine? Because you know that different parts of Ireland, from the from the stuff that you sent me actually, different parts of Ireland had different outcomes. And obviously there were certain areas that, that didn't uh you know suffer as bad. And I'm I, I guarantee you that uh some people did eat fish. Those that were able to get fish ate it.
1: Just on what you had said about um the like there was
0: and who but, the fuck but, is this lecturer, statistics lecturer, that fucking shouts that out? Oh, just no, from don't, don't, just don't from Mayo, then.
1: Just from Mayo, stirring the pot. And, and she um, also went, my family actually did quite well out of the famine. I was <laughs> like, oh, for fuck's sake. There's
0: a, I mean, I don't, I, she says no historian can answer that question. There's numerous, uh, there's like any number of conversations uh, about, you know, fish. Uh, and just from a quick Google uh, energy, the you know the the equipment that you would need, um, uh, no, but not to mention
1: that the point is for fifty years before the like w- what we studied here was like the causation of the famine, right? The the reliance on the on the potato thing, and this is not me. Before everyone starts shooting me, right? Saying this, there there is a numerous post revisionist historians have said that there was like a resistance to to farm anything else. Other than the potato, for like What's that, that there was a resistance to change the diet from eating the potato. From like so, for example, the British were in charge at the time. They were trying to go. Can we? Can we get this country making some more money? Can we get to farming some other things? Can we get? And they refused. So I mean, this is, this is not me. People saying this. Who refused? Not me. The peasant class and the Irish landlords as well. This, said, is from, said they refused. this is Christine Keneally, a uh, historian at UCD, Cormac O'Grady as well, saying, I have, a, I have one of the lines here. Um, the British government, de- desperate to modernize Ireland so as the country was not so financially dependent on Britain, found themselves having to negotiate with Irish landlords who refused to modernize their farming culture and laborers who were attached to a potato diet with a reliance on subsistence economy. Um, and then Cormac Grada says, uh, again, so then he kind of sums up with the, uh, some of the factors. The rapidly growing population, polarizing political and social views within the country, a refusal to modernize farming culture, and the acceptance of living on subsistence meant that three million people became totally reliant on the potato. Now, this is not my point of view, okay? This is the historians.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, but this is, so the lead up to the famine leads to this uh, subsistence, you know, a resistance to change. Yes, but now can I argue? Can I can I just argue that actually, before the famine, from what you sent me, mm-hmm. the Irish peasant farmer was actually healthier than their yes. sort of equivalent class in other parts of Europe because the potato was actually providing their needs, and they were the tallest and strongest Appar- exactly, really peasant apparently class.
1: Apparently, they were taller than all the English the English soldiers, even you know, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so, uh, uh, and of course, you know, change, uh, change comes slow not to mention if you have a British government that's trying to implement this modernization with a class of people that have zero trust in said mm. government mm-hmm. um, it's 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 understandable exactly I think, that, I think- that, but I understand that this is a historical look at uh, the factors that that led to the famine
1: mm-hmm yeah,
0: But the whole fish thing, I, you know, the fish thing is relevant only in the sense that I'm sure there were some parts of Ireland where people were uh, eating fish. By the way, culturally, fish wasn't really considered as much of a, a, a staple food back in those days. But I'm sure there were parts of Ireland where uh, people were eating fish and perhaps they didn't die as much. I mean, from what you sent me, it was clear that the soup kitchens of 1847 lowered the death rate during the famine. But oh, they massively, didn't, massively. They didn't keep that up. That was, you know? actually,
1: uh, that was actually a success, the, the, the soup, because I think certainly in growing up when I was taught in schools, the, the soup kitchen thing in our heads was like, for, for whatever reason, it was a negative in, in Well, the because head. there was this whole concept of taking the soup exactly yeah especially in cork i grew up in cork and that's quite a big thing in cork where yeah, the people and, today ever, are still nicknamed soup if they
0: dropped the yeah, soup, from their soup, name supers yeah yeah now but but is there did by by any chance did any of that come up in your conversations about the whole is is taking the soup the real thing uh, no it did it, it literally it came up in
1: it only i, only I brought a, it. i only brought it up because I, I i only know about that from growing up in cork and it's kind of a word on the street type thing yeah. you know um, anyone who dropped O from their name, if you're Callahan instead of O'Callaghan or Donahue. Well, according to
0: Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, which I had, I had a take in the soup fucking joke, because I really feel like it's, it, you know, I'll, I'll fucking say I'm any religion to fucking, if I'm fucking starving. I couldn't give a fuck, but yeah. superism was a phenomenon of the Great Irish Famine. Protestant Bible Society set up schools in which starving children were fed on the condition of receiving Protestant religious instruction at the same time. Its practitioners were reviled by the Catholic families who had to choose between Protestantism and starvation. People who converted for food were known as supers, jumpers, or cat pracks. Uh, In the words of their peer, they took the soup. Although superism was a rare phenomenon, it had a lasting effect on the popular memory of the famine. It blemished the relief work by Protestants who gave aid without proselytizing, Mm. and the rumor of superism may have discouraged starving Catholics from attending soup kitchens. Um... I think we
1: covered covered exactly that in class, actually, yeah, that it became a bit of a phenomenon that they thought it was more about converting than it actually was, because the Quakers did a huge amount of work. Huge amount of work.
0: Yeah, it had become a a late motif of fiction written about the famine and folklore and Irish literature replete with depictions of superism, which exaggerated the extent of which it actually occurred. So there you go. Mm. That's why it's fun to have these chats, because we're literally Mm. learning as we go along. And Mm. listen, by the way, to our listeners, uh, we don't claim to be historical experts. We in are membership. not historical experts. I mean, I have a bachelor of arts in in history, but I have what I would still consider to be uh, layman's information about the famine, but like layman plus more recent Googling uh, information about the famine, <laughs> yeah. and I haven't seen the hunger. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen the hunger. But what I thought. You know, I don't want to get too academic, and you've just done this paper, so I really, I really would prefer you to, to, to guide the conversation, right? Uh, I, I, I do find it, it fascinating how the, the famine has become so controversial, and the sort of—the the accepted narrative around the famine has, has continued to change, which, since the famine is so well covered— I would like to really get into the whole concept of the story that we were sold the the, the story that's more popular now and um you know maybe perhaps look at uh, wh- where the truth is but also you know how how our education system really affected the way we thought about Irish history mm. I th- I think if if there's
1: anything i learned from this experience uh, of this one you know like history class that i've been doing for the last couple of months and writing this assignment is that it's it's i can't emphasize this enough it is complicated and uh, it's it's there's loads of holes and loads of different areas that we don't necessarily um, know about i think the the famine documentary recently on RT, The Hunger, was really, really good. However, it didn't focus that much on causation. It didn't focus, for example, if you were to study the 50 years coming up to the famine, you'd start to find a lot of different, you know, a lot of different things. What what, what the documentary covered was like the absolute, honestly, it was quite hard to watch at times, the tragedy of the result of you know what actually happened when people were starving and what Yeah, what which I were think doing. is
0: really interesting. What what I think is really interesting is that when you actually study the famine, one thing that is not controversial is that it was really horrific. I mean it, mm, it, it definitely in European history was by far the worst famine yes. of 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 European history. Certainly in in you know European history since I guess what the the modern era. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. they consider the modern era these days.
1: Well, I mean, at that time, because like the potato blight was all across Europe, but I think it was Belgium, That's France, right. Russia, Scotland. The collective of all those countries of people that died was a hundred thousand. It's over a million in Ireland, and and uh, it's very
0: hard. It's hard in any way. I understand historians want to sort of put the blame on the resistance of peasants, farmers to change, but it's very hard to take this you know downtrodden class of people who are you know not that many generations removed from displacement right so it's 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 hard to say that peasants were resistant to change and left themselves susceptible to the devastating effect of the potato blight you know mm-hmm. i mean you really are getting into the the chicken and the egg it's like well how did how did ireland become you know so poor you know so
1: yeah, yeah it's like Again, I think what post revision is post Post revision. Post revisionism. <laughs> revisionism aims to do is to kind of go that that wasn't the one factor. You know that that it does aim to look at uh, uh, to analyze it economically. It does aim to look at uh, like I the like I do a section in, in my assignment of the his, the history of the conflict between the two countries. Again, just in the fifty years before the famine, was huge in how the. The British reacted during the famine. And Ooh, that was, it's very
0: interesting. So you yeah. go right you so you're going back to seventeen ninety eight there. Yeah.
1: Okay, well, I, I that's where I began. I began at the, the, the rebellion in seventeen ninety eight, the
0: failed rebellion in seventeen ninety eight, which right, dre- so dre- the United Irishmen yes, ha- have a rebellion led yes. by Protestant Wolf Tone. Yeah. So be- beginning right there, Steve. So that's is- where is, is the way that Britain treats Ireland, as, is, does it have a direct, is it directly changed because of the 1798 rebellion? Stephen Mullen. We're on the BBC, Steve. Uh, yes. I, I, like, well, what happened? Well, what did you I- say? I mean, you don't have to be right. You're just a comic. I'm just a comic. What did you say?
1: I just said that, the, like again, like uh, we're not allowed to have opinions until we do our masters. <laughs> but I just like I recited the uh, the historians. But like 1798 till 1845, like 1798 is is the beginning of lots and lots and lots of conflict. 1801 was the Act of Union happened. So three years later, after having yes. l- lost a-, a revolution, the Great Britain and Ireland decide right we're all now the United Kingdom. Ireland is part of the United Kingdom and Irish people are like, oh, fuck this. Do you know what I mean? This is bollocks. Yeah. Scotland, and England, you, and, it's, Wh- it's, Scotland it's, and England and Wales are fine. They're all happy together. But the Irish are like, fuck off. So I can imagine them being told at that time, you need to grow something else other than the potatoes. Like, fuck off. I'll grow what I fucking want. I've been growing exactly, this yeah. for the... <laughs> now, it's
0: interesting that you mention that because my, re- my memory is, and I could be wrong, that the history book, whether it was the Intercert history book or the leave history book, all I remember is that when I started studying Irish history, because I came to Ireland, I was in my third year, I was just about to do the intercert. Oh, yes. When I started Irish history, I feel like the very first story in that history book is the creation of Grattan's Parliament. So... It kind of starts with the Act of Union. Then it jumps back to the 1798 rebellion, which is the you know direct sort of cause of the create you know the 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 creation of the Act of Union, right? The French so, got involved in that, yeah. Yeah, and it really does feel like that is the beginning of history as it was told to us. Yeah. Right. So uh, history as we know it. Begins with 1798. Sorry, modern Irish history, as it was taught to us as as yeah. a secondary school student, begins in 1798. Leads to the Act of Union, and that everything after that, including the famine, is one long dreary journey to dismantling that Act of Union. Yeah. is that a fair? Is that a fair analysis?
1: Yeah, I, I like it's. It's not. Um. Yeah. I, I. I. It's hard to to argue outside of that. Um. But it's it's hard. To, Oh, you know, I, I agree with you, but like there's stuff like,
0: you know, Daniel O'Connell, of course, in the early 1840s, which we which we that's like a whole other fucking episode, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but what all he- I know is all I know is that the people that like to say that the famine was genocide or certainly the people that that are very uh, that are convinced right or wrong. And I'm not making an opinion that it's really the British government's response that is the direct cause of the tragedy of the famine. Not they are the, very...
1: the, the second British government that was in power yes. within the famine. Russell. Yes. Russell, right? because So Sir, Sir Robert Peel, when he started, he actually did react quickly.
0: Yeah, he uh, reacted and, and, and took more action, right? Yes, yes. But the thing is that the people that are very negative about Britain, uh, they seem to really be critical of Daniel O'Connell
1: yes well because because he was i mean that's very simply because the that republicanism, that nationalism comes from john mitchell john mitchell and and Daniel O'Connell were at the same time, Daniel O'Connell was the Gandhi of the situation, and John Mitchell wanted to be, I don't know, Che Guevara in the situation. He wanted to be <laughs> armed. Do you know what I mean? And, nice. Uh, so at the time, O'Connell... I like that.
0: Daniel O'Connell is the Gandhi
1: of Irish... Daniel O'Connell the Gandhi <laughs> of Irish politics. Stephen <laughs> Mullen. <laughs> but he didn't want to fight. He did not want to fight, and he was quite successful. He got, you know, he got. Uh, he was the first Catholic in over 100 years to get a seat in Parliament. He, represent- he was he, a Catholic. Got, he repealed the, he got the the penal laws repealed right he got the penal laws repealed and um, he got um what was it, the 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 reform of corporations where he you know he got exactly he got Catholics got equal rights so he was super successful then he tried he's, to, the, he's the he's the Michael McDowell of yeah of, I mean, he he tried to then he tried to repeal the Act of Union at the time he tried to do that it was still that act was only 30 years old it was quite new so it's like passing a new law in the 80s and then repealing it now Um, and the British shut it down essentially and then the famine happened so all these tensions are going at the same time in the meantime you got someone like John Mitchell who's writing nationalist propaganda newspapers going let's start fucking killing right now what you gotta understand about this guy is that he got arrested he went to prison he went to the US and then he started Preaching pro slavery, he's like, yeah, the you know, black people should be slaves. Do you know what I mean? Oh, really? And, wow. Yeah,
0: and a well, let's not get an- lost in this guy. This <laughs> yeah. guy's gonna fucking. But this guy's a whole other episode.
1: But the, but he's but he a, a massive anti semite as well. Like, but that's the guy who's part of um, what then became the Young Irelanders and all that kind oh, of. Oh, so he's
0: the one that he he, he yes. actually led
1: to the re- the rebellion of eighteen forty eight. Yeah, and he's the one with the initial statement of the great uh, um. Uh, the Almighty sent the potato blight, but the English created the famine. He was the one who started with the, it, this. was a genocide. Um, ah, so it's there massively go. politically charged. There's no evidence from the of, get-go, from, from the, the get-go. start, from the get-go. I mean, this, this, like, as I, I, I can't remember who I quoted in this. Like, he politicized the famine. In order for him to get the young Irelanders to raise all those funds in the US to come back and to and to win independence and you know et cetera et cetera, so it's like there's massive politics around this, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But but you can't say that that it was just the politicization of the famine that you know in that it, it's so devastating and has created such you know it, it creates such change in Ireland and it creates such change internationally. Yes. That yes. It's 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 greater than just the the politicization of well it. you've
1: it's- got like o- over a million of those immigrants went like some went to the UK some went to Australia uh, most went to Canada and the US and then you got Mitchell and uh, I think it was James Stevens go to the US oh, yeah. and they start to sell the story of like you know they planned the famine they planned it give us some money for the cause and that's how it happened so that so that was that's what I mean with regards to the politicization of it. He got to raise he raised the funds for the rebellion, you know, and um, but they but there's no evidence that that this was a because genocide means you planned it. Genocide yes. means that you that you like it was an orchestrated thing, and that's just not true, you know.
0: You know, because I was uh, I was looking at Paddy Cullivan's Facebook. You know, Paddy Cullivan is right. No, I don't know from the Camembert Quartet, and I'm not landing a minute. It's very public stuff, and I I pondered getting him on, but. He's very passionate, but uh, I, I I believe he 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 very much leans towards. Uh, I, I I'm not going to put words in his mouth and say that he believes it was a genocide, but he certainly was not a hundred percent delighted with the Hunger documentary. And I you know I, mm. I I I don't think he I I think that he would get sick in his mouth if he heard anybody suggest that the Irish peasant had any responsibility for the famine.
1: Yeah, well that that's the, yeah, and when I. I don't know if these historians are necessarily saying that they had responsibility. They're just saying, look, it was a factor. They didn't... These are the conditions. Yeah, these, these are, are the conditions condi- that th- created such a, yeah. such a
0: such a tragedy.
1: I mean, they didn't refuse um, growing other crops outside of potato thinking that there was going to be a blight yeah. in 50 years' time. They were just like, fuck off, I'm, I'm going potato. It's super handy, right? yeah. This yeah, is
0: just too handy to be given up right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and, you can't, and, and
0: of course, you know, other stuff, the subdividing plots and all the yes, different things that the led to laws people not having enough... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and let's call a spade a spade. Revisionism went too far in trying to abscond the British government from responsibility. I mean, the reality is that it, it sounds like nationalist propaganda, but they did occupy Ireland. They disenfranchised yes. Yes. the majority of the local people. they, yes. they, They, you know, I mean, you can see it happen in modern times and... it's it's funny, I always think of Tibet, right? If you look at the occupation of Tibet, like it's happening before our eyes and for some reason, people just eventually just accept the narrative that China's gone in and they're modernizing Tibet, even though they're destroying the Tibetan language. Yeah. they're they're you know they're destroying Tibetan culture and they're calling anything that stands in the way of Tibetan people accepting China as as the ruler and and Tibetan people accepting that they're Chinese they call all that backward and separatist. Yeah, and so when you look at that, it's very easy for you to see it in the cold light of the day. You think, oh, that's fucked up.
1: Hmm.
0: For some reason, you have to put yourself right back there and say. This this was happening internationally. Uh, we don't have the same world me- uh, international media that we do today. But people just watched this slowly happen over hundreds of years. And it can be forgotten, you know, because yeah. we're so afraid of having like a nationalist narrative yeah. that it wasn't an, an occupation and a slow dismantling of Irish culture so that the subjects would not be unruly. Now, ultimately, it, it failed to a degree, despite the fact that we're left with loads of... British-like institutions, but ultimately, and we're speaking English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we, but we are speaking English. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, so a lot of the, you know, so it, it, so so really, if you look at sort of the Tudors and their beginning of uh, Irish conquest, whatever, you can go back to the Anglo-Normans. But let's not fucking give the British government a fucking pass mm. on how much their involvement in Ireland led to conditions that created the bad scenario that Mm. the famine thrived on. Mm. I think yes or no. No, they can't. They, revisionism, you've got you
1: to gotta look at what what revisionism comes from. So the, the nationalist perspective very much began with John Mitchell and then w- with that point of view and that it was a genocide, etc. Revisionism kind of started in the 1900s, earliest in the 1930s and then into the 1960s where historians all around the world, it has to be said, not just in Ireland, were looking at um, studying history in a more systematic way in trying to kind of... Uh, they, it was an attempt to be non-biased. But because of what was happening in Ireland in the 1960s when revisionism is is really going, you've got problems with the IRA, with the the new IRA essentially in Northern Ireland, um, violence, uh, etc. All that violence that's going on. Revisionism at that time started to become uh, biased because it was... Constantly about disme- dispelling myths of nationalism because they were afraid of the of what the IRA were getting up right. to. The IRA at that time had this whole, um, you know, belief system that was connected right back to the famine, and they were selling that as part of why that they were doing what they were right. doing in the nineteen sixties. So revisionism was really trying to go, well, that's not true, that's not true, yeah, and actually, but it went too, but it, it went, went too, too far because then they're going. Oh, such and such, this that many people didn't die. And look at the soup kitchens, look how many people we saved at the soup kitchens. And oh look at this day that we raised a load of money and we all fasted for a day in England, and then we sent you over the money. And it really starts to play it down and, and go like oh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Um so uh, it, but
0: in fairness, the revisionist narrative only really became popular in, in history circles. I mean I would. I thought it was interesting in the stuff that you sent me that, that the best-selling Irish history book of all time is uh, was it the Great Hunger? Cecil or, Woodham-Smith is it? That? Yeah, yeah. And 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 that is just a harrowing, you know, just a, like just a brutal tale, yeah. and and that's very critical. You know, it's very much a, of a nationalist perspective on the Great Famine. So I, I think that the revisionist argument is much more of an academic exercise than than people realize. The only reason why it's good to bring it up. Is that most people, including myself, educated in the Irish education system, you know, basically only know one narrative, which is, you know, the British fucked up. Uh, it was a hor- horrific thing that was done to the Irish people, but yes. they don't really know. But they don't really know w- what it really was. Yes, you know. It.
1: Um. I'm trying to find the, the quote here because what you're saying exactly. Well, it's basically Páirc Pierce, who was obviously one of the. The, the leaders of the 1916 Rising. Um, but he quotes John Mitchell's book, the, the guy that I'm talking about in the 1800s, as one of the four gospels for Irish nationalism. And it was that, that they were, those guys then founded the education system in Ireland and they, that was the narrative that they were always going to, to teach. So it, it, the connection between what you were learning in history class goes right back to John Mitchell as to why you were learning exactly that. Yeah. It's and fascinating. I have to be honest, I fucking, I, I, I much prefer that version was oh, great crack. It's great. <laughs> You're sitting there. I was sitting there. I remember third and fourth class. You know, grinding my big pyre going those fucking bastards.
0: You know, it's like,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was good. But crack. it's
0: it, it it is very interesting because the like the Irish story is it's it's a very compelling narrative. You know. Oh yes. And uh, you know when you when when you really when you get into it, it's 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 hard not to get sucked in. But when you look at it with a critical eye, you think, well. I mean, we'll go back to the famine in a second, but when you look at it with a critical eye, you think, wow, when I was a teenager, I really thought that Podrick yes. Pierce was a hero. Yes. But now I'm in my 40s and I think, wow, that guy was fucking insane.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's the other one? Arthur Griffith as well. Wasn't he a massive... Ant- well, Arthur Griffith's-,
0: like- Arthur Griffith's a little different. You know, he's right. got... He's looking... At least he's looking at a system that's working somewhere else you know the dual monarchy the austro-hungarian you know he's looking at a system and he's saying like i think that's a system that could work for ireland you know Mm. he's trying to find a way to to separate ireland from the the from england without fucking you know revolution i mean he he only gets behind revolution after the 1916 rising when for some reason Sinn fein gets all the credit you know what i mean so he he's actually he only comes on board when he realizes it's kind of the only game in town, even yeah. though he's the one that created the fucking game. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Sinn Féin, that is, you know? Anyway, I don't want to get bogged down. That. We could fucking be here all day. Let's let's go back to something that came up in, in The Hunger that I think was shocking to a lot of people, but I also think is such an interesting debate, which is that evidence of cannibalism in the famine.
1: Yes, yeah. And that, that, that connects back to the, you know, I know, it, like, that
0: that's crazy it's it was really hard to watch that and uh yeah i didn't see it now so i don't but i i read in the the you know the bits that you were sending me you know just evidence of uh they're basically uh, uh, a girl died in a house and then there was bits of her flesh were off of her arm and bits of her flesh were found in her dead parents yeah, yeah, yeah
1: yeah um yeah stuff like that was really really hard to watch and which
0: you know it brings home the, it brings home the horror of it, you know, and uh, you know, it really, when you when you, when you when you when you think of the fact that a million people were driven to the United States because of this horror, you know, and and the reality is that uh, they were the lucky ones; they got out. It's no surprise then that particularly like Irish America or the narrative that grows out of this famine is you know what was done to us was horrific i mean it, mm. it's fair enough people fucking people are still angry at Fall for the mm. 2008 financial crisis
1: yes yeah
0: so if they have fucking rational anger towards fucking bertie or Hearn, mm. you don't think people in fucking 1848 have a right to be fucking angry at the british government oh I mean, no do absolutely me a fucking yeah. Favor.
1: yeah yeah and it's and again like the connection I think we forget how these things are connected into our very identity for like I don't know if you saw the Biden thing when he just won the election and then they said to him you know um, Mr Biden could you have a word for the BBC and he's like oh the BBC I'm Irish and then he he walks away <laughs> but that but that but they've lit- they're literally reporting on that in the papers today the, obviously the the drama of the Brexit negotiation but part of the reason of making sure that they dropped that bill to make sure that there will never be a border. I mean, it was a horseshit bill anyway, but that there'll never be a border on uh, the island of Ireland when Brexit happens is because there was definitely a feeling that Biden just won this election. So the US are going to be behind the Irish and the Europeans and the good Friday agreement in particular. That's all connected back to
0: why Biden is, is, is Irish in the first place, because he's yeah. probably left from That's Mayo. Right. I and mean, went- listen, you could talk all day about why the famine matters internationally. But just before we jump off, I just want to talk about cannibalism for a second. (laughs) I've never understood why there's this sense of cannibalism being like a really fucked up thing. I agree with you. Yeah. I've never understood it. I mean, obviously, the big discussion came up around the, the, the rugby players and, you know, the Argentinian rugby players, you know, they crash in Chile and eventually they end up eating some of the flesh of people that have died already. So what I don't understand is why so it's obviously it's a great example to show how fucking horrific the famine yeah, was.
1: Absolutely how deep
0: the level of starvation was. Yes. But the fact that it's always told in a way that's this is this is the most desperate thing yeah. that a human can do. Whereas I actually think It's the most practical it, <laughs> it, it should be it should be considered way more acceptable yeah. in a fucking survival. Killing somebody to eat them, separate Different. story. Because yes. murder's murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> like having a taste for fresh human flesh. Yeah, that's that's problematic cannibalism. But yeah. survival of 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 being smart with the with with you know people that have passed mm. to me is is. is I I don't know why there's so much shame around it.
1: I yeah, and we're not are like we're not saying at all that it's not like one of the most tragic things ever. It it is fucking tragic, but yeah, I no, I understand what you're saying. There's some level there that there's a practicality. I just want to
0: say, if we're ever in a fucking situation <laughs> where one of us dies, if I die or you die, I'm eating you, and you can eat me. I'm I got not, no e- problem with that. I'm not eating you because I'm definitely
1: gonna be farting after it with all the subway that's in there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man. I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure what what the best part of a human is, but I've always assumed that actually, the the butt would be. Got to like, be the ass. I was just going to say it. It's got to be the ass. <laughs> By the way, we are we are a comedy podcast. Just in case anybody thinks this is an irreverent <laughs> yes, conversation, we're, we're
1: not. I'm just talking about eating Dez's ass. That's all. That's yeah. All. yeah. <laughs>
0: eating ass if ever there was a misleading title for a fucking clip <laughs> doesn't steve talk about eating ass <laughs> oh my god um, but anyway yeah i mean that that i i yeah, you know i think I, I think i think what's really good i i think it's weird that there, there has to be such controversy around the famine i think modern day reporting should really focus more on that it truly was, uh, the the, the thing that people should understand the most is how fucking tragic it was. Mm. And particularly in the sense of how far we've come, say, in Europe. Yeah, definitely. Where that that type of thing, you know, growing up in the 80s, you think that's something that could happen in Africa. Yes, yeah, yeah. But like this type of, you know, poverty and tragedy was was quite commonplace in Europe in the 1800s. Which, actually, when you think about it, is relevant to today, where people forget the whole impetus behind the EU in the first place mm. was to continue to move away from the tragedy that yes. came from conquest and yeah. conflict within Europe
1: yeah it was like after world war ii where they were just like fuck this we stop fucking
0: fighting and let's just make
1: a peaceful compromise here
0: but all yeah and and all those tragic events they all go even even into the 90s with the balkans they all go back 100 150 years Mm -hmm. to the you know conquest and conflict within europe Mm. you know and we take for granted now the relative peace that we feel within europe and of course it takes a number of generations but eventually you move far enough away from what motivated it in the first place that you suddenly think that going at it on your own mm. is the better option despite mm. the centuries of fucking evidence to the contrary see you later britain <laughs> <laughs> yeah take your fucking soup with you motherfuckers
1: you know yeah so but that? it's also
0: good to, you know, you know, what's good too about looking at the famine. And I know that we're just, we're just glossing over stuff here, but it's been fun to look back on it because the other story that you don't get told is that like Dublin wasn't that badly affected. It was affected, no doubt, but it wasn't that badly affected. Wexford wasn't that badly affected. You know, there were parts of Ireland that didn't experience as much tragedy. You they know? talked
1: about that in, in the, the hunger that like, yeah, like towns and cities in general, were kind of like they were refugee places, but like if you if you were working in a city or living in a city, you weren't really affected by this at all, and you just wanted to stay away from those kind of zombies that were walking around in the streets.
0: Is that right? Yeah. See, that's 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 crazy. I I could have seen it, you know. The, the the road the you know the road people and all this stuff people just dying on the road people are just dying all, all over the place but if you were like up up in Dublin or whatever you
1: know you're just getting on with shit and you stayed away I suppose that might be like the same as walking past a homeless person today I don't know you know what I mean but it's that's kind of the that was the culture at the time you stayed away from, the other, because they're the, all full of disease as well that was the problem
0: the other thing I that I thought was uh, was great about the stuff that you were sending me was basically about how bad workhouse relief was you know Brute. and just yeah it like i think i think you think about the coronavirus today it's a good way to look at how fucking stupid workhouse relief was mm. which was basically like let's take these people that are starving and put them into a less sanitary less healthy situation uh which is actually going to increase their death rate rather than decrease it mm. you know yeah, With minimum output of what they're actually... You know, like, you're not even really getting anything good.
1: Yeah, the whole... I mean, they went there because there was one guy... I have to say, the way he was putting it, I thought he was a bit nervous the way he was putting it because he was a historian, but he wasn't Irish. He wasn't English either. I don't know where he was from. But um, he was like, actually, the workhouses were quite a good idea. You know, people got soup and uh, so happy. They had a the doctor and all this. Like, Yeah, it just really felt in the documentary,
0: this isn't the time to be pointing out that. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, but that, that that's disputed, right? Because yeah. from what I was reading, what you were saying was actually that they, they weren't actually great. There were and not look as with everything there was 130 workhouses in the country um
1: they're not all they weren't all the same you know there were right, there, there's, right. there's different um aspects but they did in in the documentary man this was the, i found this bit hard to watch they did find that in Kilkenny they found basically a grave on the ground of what used to be a workhouse oh it's tragic the amount of bodies that they found there it was really? just like it was like a pit in a concentration camp and it was uh Oh, it was awful, and like if you know a child was buried with the mother, it was just kind of thrown in between the legs, and you can see the skeletons of it. It's just like holy shit, it's it's off awful, awful stuff. So it just gives you a real physical picture, a real physical visceral, visceral visualization of it. Kind of you're going kind of like, oh my god, that this is awful, you know. Matt, um, there was a mass grave in West Cork as well, and yeah, it was just brutal, brutal stuff. But as we were saying, the reality of it is that there was people in Ireland at the time that were completely unaffected by this stuff. You know, they were just getting on with their getting on with their lives. Um, and as the t- the, our teacher said today, you know, some families really—and they did say this in the documentary as well—some families really profited from it because landlords couldn't pay the rent, peasants couldn't pay to the landlords. Land starts to become available; they buy it up. Yeah, they're they- like
0: the vulture funds of the eighteen forties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the fucking. The Goldman Sachs of the
1: and 1840s. Absolutely, and this wasn't like like you know this wasn't the British. This was Irish, you know, Catholics who, who had a bit of money who were doing all right and they're like lovely jubbly. I've got a bit of land here and and they but they but they at the same time wouldn't help with those that, that needed the help. So
0: the other argument I thought was really interesting was that actually a a, a more successful uh, relief program would have been to literally pay people to leave. That actually yes. you know because there would have been more pay emigration. them to emigrate. Yeah. Yeah, yep. there would have been more immigration if people could actually afford to take the trip. And, that, and wa- that was
1: a policy in some countries, but the Whigs weren't having any of that. They were not spending more money on there. Some countries did do that, yeah. But you're right, it would have been cheaper to kind of go. Um, I had this quote from Trevelyan, which actually really, uh, obviously famous Charles Trevelyan, who was like the head civil uh, servant in the country, who was in charge of distributing the food in, uh, in the country. But this, this quote from him really uh, sums up how they felt things should be um, handled. He says, if the poor man prefers idling on relief works or being rationed with his wife and children to hard labor, if the farmer discharges his laborers and makes the state of things a plea for not paying rents, rates or rent, if the landed proprietor joins in the common cry hoping to obtain some present advantage and trusting to the chance of escaping future repayments, it is not the men but the system which is in fault. So basically, saying we got to have a system where none of this shit can, none of this shit can happen. You, you're not. So the, he's
0: actually. So he's actually putting responsibility on the government. Um,
1: he's no, he's actually saying that we're we're being too nice to them.
0: Oh right, sorry, because yeah, I, I got
1: confused in his quote. Yeah, he's he's basically saying that this is the problem of this system of giving them money and they're not paying their rent and they're not doing what they're what they're supposed to be doing. And um, they're not paying their taxes or whatever. The problem is
0: the system. So let's start. Let's take away that system. Oh, I got you right. So he's a he's a Republican um, in, in the in the American sense. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. He's a, he's yeah. fucking Margaret Thatcher.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the conservatives are very much still like that now. That's yeah, the, to, the attitude
0: to, to a degree. It hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Trevelyan, of course, for people that don't know, famous for. The line in the fields, fields of, of Athenry, yeah. For you stole Trevelyan. I, I I always say Trevelyan, but it's Trevelyan.
1: Trevelyan, T R E V. So you stole Trevelyan's yeah. corn. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Trevelyan. And there you
0: go. I mean, there it is. It's in the fucking songs. The 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 narrative is there. Yeah. But yeah. So the this 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 revisionist obsession with uh, destroying myths yeah. uh, was 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 possibly. I mean, you can understand the motivation, but you can't. You, you can't destroy the myths at the expense of the truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you can't. Yeah. The, 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 I think the the main problem with revisionism was not taking responsibility for anything. Just kind of going. It, like, it basically was going. It was inevitable. It was inevitable. And that population increase that I talked about last week, like six million of, of a population yeah. increase on the island within 100 years. They would point to that. They would kind of go, well, you know. If, you know, that that's what it was, you know what I mean. But it wasn't simply just that, you know the the structures yes. weren't in place. You know, you like.
0: Plus, it's okay. So here's a, here here's a, a cold, callous analysis. Somebody I read recently about the the, the stagnation of the working class in America, right? Uh, and essentially, you know, the popularity of Trump comes from this group of people who traditionally had done well. Uh, in the working class economy mm-hmm. and have found themselves more and more disenfranchised. The movement of people within the United States has diminished to a huge degree. So uh, America, you know, like the Grapes of Wrath, you read these books about migrant workers. They They went, I mean, of course, it was a horrible existence. But the truth is that Americans years ago were more inclined to move to where the employment was. And that movement to where the employment is has diminished whatever certain percentage, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, then as a result, you have uh, you know gr- groups of people who are stuck in areas of lower employment than there used to be. Uh, the poverty increases. Their sense of disenfranchisement grows. And to turn around and say, well, actually, it's your fault mm. because you guys have become stagnant and you don't move. Is fucking heartless. Mm. And even though there might be truth in the statement that is, when there was more movement of people, it was better for the average working class American. Mm. It doesn't mean that those people should move. Mm. You know, it's fucked up to say, well, no, actually, I quite like where I live. Yeah. And I like the way that it was. And the fact that due to, to you know, changes in trade or changes in culture, you know, the fact that the world changes, positive or negative, and whose fault that is. Doesn't fucking appease these people. So to turn around and try to say that the Irish peasant was at fault yeah. because they were resistant to change, I mean, it's it's in, in that situation it's beyond heartless.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a tough. I think you see it in in modern day culture as well. Well, look at COVID. The amount of industries that have been taken away, or but I just think in culture in general the way that work. So many jobs are gone in the last, say, 50 years with technology. And, you know, it's all about being media. It's all about, like, skills, old school skills, like teachers, for example. Look at teachers. You know, I'll the way that teaching is going, you got to be sharp on technology, on on um, learning online and on all that, blah, blah, blah. For many teachers who've been doing it 20, 30, 40 years, they're kind of going, I don't know how to fucking do all this, blah, 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 And, you know, they mightn't get the next job or they mightn't get the next promotion, blah, blah, blah. And So it's just yeah, the nature of an time. Yeah, that's upskilling argument. Up- and, yeah, yeah so, yeah.
0: I mean, but that is the thing. I mean, the, some of these economists, they just look at everything and the, the fucking, they just, look, every, just at, look at everything coldly, yeah, statistics. Yes. And yeah. so they would just be like, yeah, so you you either upskill or you or you fucking or fall behind. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but but that's why. Yeah, but that's why I think people the the move away from trust in government has been so detrimental because it is the government's job to facilitate a certain level of of, of fairness and social support and infrastructure in society so that you can't just. Fall out of the system that quick, especially when everything changes so quickly now.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? So,
0: so that's why it's impossible to fucking abscond for the British to abscond responsibility as quickly as they did. uh In uh, you know, uh, within the revisionist. revisionist I yeah, got yeah. distracted. I got distracted because Hannah's looking for her fucking curtain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why aren't you ironing, Desmond? i hell. was
0: ironing hannah i was ironing the curtain before i started the podcast uh i had to stop to do the podcast i am now going to end the podcast because i have to hang the curtain because hannah has a has a test Why are you making the bad Bru- i'm not i'm not making you the bad guy hannah i just needed like a lighthearted intro to a very serious episode about the famine <laughs> so <laughs> we we used your curtain as a great way to get into it um but in this in in this narrative, Bravo is very much the British government, and we are the peasants being put into the workhouse to fucking iron these these curtains. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we I gotta go, Steve. Okay, a pleasure. There's more as to always. this conversation, but I th- obviously, we'll, there's we'll way more, New and Egypt.
1: we're. We're just comedians who just. We're yeah, only having the crack and
0: we, the eating ass moment made it all worth it. Really, absolutely, we did it. So that's an hour coming up. out. That's all coming the, out as a clip. All
1: this research to just talk about eating ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, bro, pleasure as always.
0: I, I, I'll do an intro, Steve, with a disclaimer, just to fucking just yes. so just yes, so we yes, don't get do. fucking people that normally listen to Talking History coming on yeah, thinking yeah, that they're I'm getting not, new facts. People
1: that listen to the Irish History podcast.
0: yeah this, listen, is not this it, guy. Okay, this guy doesn't even have the fucking leave insert. Okay, he's in the fucking Trinity access. doing it now a fucking access program. He's
1: Don't fucking, listen to this shite. Yeah, he's in a fucking adult literacy
0: course. God love him. You know, he's learning how to fucking read. And fucking suddenly he's an expert on the famine. Peace out, right, bro. Peace. Peace. See you. Bye. All right, babe. All right. Well, thanks, Steve. And uh, thanks to uh, you, the listener. Hopefully you enjoyed it. You know, it's kind of one of those things where we recorded it And we're just having the crack about the famine, you know? And because I didn't want it to be like an RT Radio 1 or BBC Radio 4, you know, doc, uh, it, it, it kind of bounces all over the place, which I think is fine, right? Because people like the looseness of a podcast. But at the same time, there's a part of me that... Almost wants to do like a history series where we do it quite seriously, but I know there's already good podcasts like that, so there's no need. What I think I might do is try to get that this guy that's doing that Irish history podcast I might try to get him on as a guest, not so much to talk about uh history specifically, but just to talk to him about um you know where he thinks people's interest is at and what he what his goals are for getting that out because I, I I do think that's really interesting, but I also am aware that some of our listeners are not as into history as I am. And, you know, at times I feel like history can start to overtake this podcast. So I'm, I'm very conscious of you, the listener. Um, I'm also conscious that we have a lot of female listeners that from The Shift and also fans of Hannah. And I'm aware that these famine chats might not be... I, 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 just, I just don't know if this is... Uh, basically, I need to do some market research on what you guys like. I don't want to make any gendered assumptions on what you like or don't like, okay? Um, But I feel like cannibal jokes are more male, but cannibalism jokes. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Um, I really want to put the cannibalism moment up as a clip, but I feel like it might bring me some heat. But then at the same time, I'm just getting sick and tired of fucking... I'm getting sick and tired of being afraid to put stuff up. I, like, listen, I'm not going to do episode after episode complaining about PC culture gone mad because that, that's not my bag. I don't actually, I like people being concerned about PC culture. But I do, I, I do think it's unfortunate that, well, for me, this is me personally, I'm just so annoyed at myself that I'm so afraid to put stuff up these days. You know, because I just hate the stress of people's reaction, even though it comes and goes. Even my most recent fucking drama from a thing that anyway, that even that most recent drama, it 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 comes and it goes. Even when you're wrong, you know? Like even when you've done something wrong, it comes and it goes. So isn't it better to just be free? You know, at the end of it, like I just thought, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I might put up that cannibalism joke. We'll see. Uh Cause I don't want people to think we're being disrespectful about the famine. I'm actually being respectful of people who end up being so desperate that they eat other humans. I'm, I'm sticking up for them. You know, I'm already jammed up. What happened to your career, Des? I just, I ended up sticking up for cannibalism. You know, like like Glinner. You know, Graham Linehan, who wrote Father Ted, has just got so jammed up, and the you know the, the with the turfs and trans issues. It's like, why, why, why did you get so hung up on, on that? You know, people are like, Des, why did you get so, why did you become such a defender of cannibals? It just was not a good play on your career. Um. Anyway, I just had my morning coffee. I think I, I think when I'm talking on my own, I always have to have, it always has to be like 30 minutes after my first cup of coffee. That's like when I'm at my best. So let me just explain why we went up late. Uh, So at the beginning of the pod, I'm joking about the stress of getting the house ready for Hannah to film Bravo's chat room. So anyway, I literally have to end the episode because it's 12 o'clock and Bravo are going to check what I thought was going to be the background, the setting. It turns out my fucking, my internet's way low yesterday for some reason. We don't know why. And after a half an hour, we realize I'm going to have to drive Hannah back to fucking Shelter Island Ferry, which is an hour from here, to get back to her mom's, to go back to her where she was filming it before. Now, obviously part of that stress is that I'm supposed to be playing tennis at one. You know, obviously, I don't, I can't say, Hannah, I can't take you to Shelter Island. I'm playing tennis. So I cancel tennis with the lads, and I fucking, I, 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 I race, you know, I like rush. And can can I also just point out that while this stress is going on from 12 to 12.30, like the Wi-Fi is not working. And like this is a real relationship test because Bravo's on the computer. I'm like at the Wi-Fi and like Hannah's stressed. I'm stressed. It's very hard not to take it out on each other. But actually, despite the fact that the stress levels were high and there were, there were times where either of us could have said, like either of us could have, that could have been the moment where we blew up at each other. We, we, we didn't. You know, and I, I, I can't, I would need Hannah here to talk about a moment where she thought I was about to blow, but there was a moment where she was like, uh, you know, they were like, turn off your, your router and turn it back on, right? So I turned off the router, I turned it back on. I wasn't coming on that quickly. And then Hannah was like, why is it not coming on quickly? was <laughs> like, in, in my mind, I wanted to be like, how the fuck do I know? The fucking router's not coming on. I'm not the fucking Optimum. I'm not the fucking cable provider. I'm just a fucking guy like you. I don't know shit about fucking Wi-Fi. But instead I was like, I'm sorry, Hannah, but I don't know why. We just have to wait. I'm sorry. (laughs) These are the relationship tests that you deal with, especially during a pandemic where I'm sure a lot of you can identify with technology stress, especially if you're work from home people. So needless to say, I I didn't cancel tennis. I delayed tennis. And I I think I should also point out that tennis is a pandemic thing for me. I've never played tennis. I got into tennis because of meeting Hannah. And then I've gotten to know some guys out here. uh, And we play tennis outdoors. Uh, And so I'm a little bit obsessed with tennis at the moment, just to point out. So to add to the stress levels, I... I'm addicted to tennis, so now I'm like, I got I got tennis in a higher priority bracket than it deserves, especially for somebody who's as shit a tennis as I am, right? Luckily, Hannah, having a very high level of respect for tennis and a very sort of excited, uh, she's excited about my journey of trying to get better, actually feels bad that I have to, you know, cancel tennis. So... Uh, she respects the fact that I only delay tennis. In fact, I think the only delaying tennis was her suggestion. So I delay tennis, and I drive one hour to the Shelter Island Ferry. Uh, by the way, Hannah hadn't eaten yet, so Hannah was hungry. so we had to wait for Hannah to have a bowl of cereal, which was also fine. But of course, I'm like pacing back and forth. We drive one hour to Shelter Island Ferry. I drive all the way back to West Hampton. I play what ended up being two hours and 15 minutes of tennis, which is not a good excuse for not having the podcast up. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really ratting myself out, to be honest. Uh, uh, then I come home. I walk the dog who's now getting neglected. I walk the foster dog. Uh, I have peanut butter and jelly because I myself haven't eaten since breakfast now with all this madness. I have peanut butter and jelly because I'm five years old. Uh, and I uh, No, because I have peanut butter and jelly because I don't want to be hangry picking up Hannah. Uh, I then get back in my car. I drive one hour back to the Shelter the Ferry. I pick up Hannah. I bring the dog, by the way, because I feel like the dog has been ignored for too long. Um, pick up Hannah, drive back, get some pasta from Tonino's in West Hampton. Uh, we then get home. I've driven... Four hours. I mean, a little bit more than four hours because actually I, I came home. And went, so I've driven four hours in the car. I come home. I have my pasta. And in my post-pasta coma, I pass out on the couch watching a true crime documentary uh, hiding in plain sight. And I woke up at 5.20 a.m. to get this podcast up as early as possible. So that is a very honest admission of why the podcast did not get done yesterday. The real reason is. Is because after 9 o'clock. I'm fucking useless. Don't ask me why. Oh there's the foster dog. Is sniffing my arm as I'm doing the podcast. Good girl Tum Tum. I didn't name her. So that's it guys. That's just a little extra. The fact that that story didn't really go anywhere. It doesn't matter because it's a bonus. It's like a bonus app. So don't forget. Uh, at Des Bishop on instagram at hello steve o, on instagram for steve uh i i did actually get a few people message me uh, about the famine in advance of the episode because i had put it up yesterday it was mostly just the brits are a bunch of cunts so we're we're, we're down with that um and yeah that's it Oh, leave the reviews guys and, and spread the word about the pod uh let's get some new subscribers on board let them know that it's it's nice and steady don't forget about the patreon patreon.com Patreon.com for its list as Bishop. Thank you so much, guys. You are the best.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.